All right, Alexander, let's uh, do an update on what is going on in Ukraine and a lot of um, uh, fighter jets, Ukraine fighter jets are being shot down. I think Shoigu said something like 24 uh, Ukraine fighter jets have been shot down. He even said that the Ukraine military is getting weaker and weaker by uh, by the day. And uh, news about Leopard tanks being destroyed, even Forbes confirmed this, that I think three or four Leopard tanks were destroyed in the last couple of days. And and the front lines, well, uh, things are looking very bad for uh, for the Aletsky regime, the Ukraine military. They're evacuating in multiple areas, Kupiansk, uh, Avdivka, evacuating uh, settlements and villages, and uh, Avdivka, Fighting is fierce. The Ukraine channels, they say that uh, the Russians are losing uh, a terrible amount of uh, of soldiers and men in Avdivka, but they press on. Um, you're not getting those kinds of reports from the Russian side of things, but hard to tell what exactly is going on in Avdivka. The one certainty is that uh, the Russians will eventually uh, capture Avdivka, even Aristovich said as much uh, the other day in a message. He said that he is absolutely positive that Russia will capture Avdivka. And of course, Kupiansk, uh, pretty much the the same news coming out of Kupiansk. The Ukraine military is evacuating people and the Russians uh, continue to advance in Kupiansk, Kharkov, the north area. Uh, The the counteroffensive for Ukraine, no one's even talking about it. No, except quite honest, in the south. So... yeah. Except, of course, for uh, Zelensky himself, who says that they must advance 500 meters a day, which is an astonishing speech, by the way, uh, and uh, tells us how panicky they're, they're, they're actually becoming. And in fact, there's rumors. And of course, one always has to say that these are rumors, but they're rumors that are circulating in Ukrainian channels, telegram channels. And they're the kind of rumors that have proved in the past to be true of meetings between Zelensky and Zeluzhny. And Zelensky, the rumours say, told Zeluzhny that Avdevka must be held at all costs. And apparently this time, Zeluzhny agreed with Zelensky because Avdevka is seen as so important to the entire Ukrainian defence system in the Donbass. And so they're having to recommit troops from all kinds of places to defend in Avdevka, which is, you know, white leopard tanks and those kind of things are appearing there. But that effectively means that real, serious, offensive operations by Ukraine everywhere else are now being put on hold. They're giving up on them. So, yes, there is this big crisis in Avdeyevka. And um, I should say straight away, I, I think that no doubt the Russians have taken heavy losses in Avdeyevka. But I also think, not on the scale, that the Ukrainians are claiming. And I... I th- I get the sense, always, there's a lot of uncertainty and fog of war about these things. But I think that Aristovich is absolutely right. The Russians are incrementally and steadily tightening their grip around Avdeyevka. I think Avdeyevka will fall, just as Aristovich says. I'm not going to put a timeline on this. It may, t- it may be a protracted business. But... Let's put aside what's going on on the front lines. I think every bit as alarming for the Ukrainians, perhaps even more alarming for the Ukrainians, in terms of military developments, is what looks like the collapse of their air force. Again, 
we are relying on Russian claims. But the Russian claims in the past about Ukrainian material losses turn out to be true. We are hearing that 24 Ukrainian aircraft have been shot down by the Russians over the space of one week. This is what Shoigu says. We now hear that the Russians are deploying AWACS aircraft to Ukraine on a much more regular basis than before, that these AWACS aircraft are operating alongside S-400 surface-to-air missiles, which have enormously extended range. The um, way in which these AWACS aircraft and the missiles work is that the AWACS aircraft provide data signals to the Russian missiles, and they're able to direct the missiles at um, Ukrainian aircraft. And of course, because the AWACS aircraft are flying, they're able to detect every single Ukrainian aircraft that's operating at every point everywhere, apparently now, in Ukraine. So that already tells us some things. It tells us that the Russians are able to put their AWACS aircraft further forward than has been in the case before. Clearly, they feel that the Ukrainian missile system has been degraded as well, and they are obliterating, if their accounts are true, the Ukrainian Air Force. And that is leaving Ukraine materially exposed. We see Ukraine is also suffering very heavy losses on the battlefronts. It's having to rush troops to fight in Avdeevka. It's losing troops and losing tanks there. It's losing troops and tanks in Kupiansk and all sorts of other places as well. And they are now short of ammunition. And the EU is now admitting that they've not been able to provide Ukraine with all the ammunition that they promised. They're becoming short of tanks and armoured vehicles as well. And the EU, the West, can't replace all those supplies of tanks. And they're becoming short of men. And this is perhaps the saddest, most tragic and, in my opinion, disturbing thing of all. Because what they're now doing is they're mobilising women. Now, you know, I have huge issues with this. Because it's bad enough that all the men, the young men, the men of fertile age have been killed. But it looks like the women are going to be as well. And, you know, bear in mind, these women will not have been through conscription and will not have gone through, you know, the reserves. So they're not going to have received any kind of pre-mobilisation training at all. One gets the sense that they're being trained very rapidly in about three weeks, thrown into the battlefront. They're going to be killed in their hundreds and their thousands. And I, I find it incredible that a government would do this to its own people in that way. Yeah, let's keep government, Will. They have done and they will continue to do this to their own people. Yeah, they'll... Yeah. Uh, it's very, uh, it's very, very horrific, very sad, very horrific to see what, uh, what's taking place. Um, the, the, the new house speaker, uh, Mike Johnson, good or bad for, uh, Ukraine? Well, bad for Ukraine is the short answer. I mean, he, he is one of these people who opposes funding for Ukraine. I mean, he's been consistent about this. Now, apparently, he's not the most uh, experienced person. I mean, I don't know very much about him. 
we know that there's a huge amount of dealing and <laughs> negotiation goes on in Congress. It could very well be that you know he's going to bend and change his views on this. But I understand that even in the Senate, amongst Republicans there, there is now um, a shift in sentiment about Ukraine. They're saying that the Biden administration is asking for far too much money for Ukraine. At the least, it looks to me that the $61 billion that the Biden administration is asking for is going to be very severely cut. Europe isn't able to make up the difference. And Ukraine is already saying the $61 billion is not enough. It's not enough even to cover the needs of the civilian economy, let alone provide military, uh, military assistance. And of course, the United States is now sending um, ammunition to Israel. It's redeploying air defense assets to the Middle East. All of that means there's less to send to Ukraine. So from every conceivable point of view, the situation for Ukraine is deteriorating, and it is deteriorating fast. And it is terrible when a government in this kind of situation, rather than pick up the phone, calling perhaps Xi Jinping in China, asking him whether he might mediate, that their response instead is to call up women. Even the Germans at the very end of the Second World War didn't do that. Yeah. So uh, the the word is that um, the ammo is is all but gone, and uh, the collective West is not going to be able to provide the ammunition that they promised for Ukraine. The reports from Bloomberg's from Bloomberg is that the EU promised a million rounds by March two thousand twenty four, and uh, they're only going to be able, or at this moment, they've only been able to provide thirty percent of that. If if that is to be believed. And so uh, they're, they're not going to get to that million uh, mark of, uh, of ammunition shells. Uh, and, and even if they were to provide the million ammunition shells, Ukraine would use it up within a, within a very short uh, time span. So, I mean, this is, this is, this is coming towards the end of, of, yeah. of, of the road for, for, for the Zelensky regime. I mean, I, oh. I, I don't see how they're going to, to, to make it through the, through the next year. I, I, I completely agree with that. I mean, can I just say... I and we mean, haven't even talked about the, the, the conflict in, in, in the Middle East either, yeah. which is yeah. taking all the attention, Absolutely. as well as a lot of the, the weapons and the money, yeah. Absolutely, I completely agree. Now, can I just say, I mean, with the ammunition thing, we discussed this so many times. We said that the EU was never going to find the million shells that it was talking about. And now, the way it was presented back in March was that those million shells were going to be provided for Ukraine's offensive. Now, you know, they were all supposed to be supplied by March of 2024, but the bulk of them was supposed to be provided to cover the needs of the offensive in the spring and summer. And it's clear that Ukraine has only got a fraction of that. What, what the EU has achieved is, yeah, they've provided some shells to Ukraine, but they've quadrupled the price of shells in the European Union. The cost of shells has increased from $2,000 each, which is already very high, by the way, to $8,000 a shell. Now, who would have thought it? Throw money at a problem, there's an 
a finite number of shelves that you can produce. Anybody who has any kind of business experience at all, you have, to a lesser extent I have, would know that that is all you're going to achieve. You throw money at a problem, but, you know, you could only provide a finite number of shells in any one particular time. All that you're going to do is increase your costs, and that is exactly what has happened. Okay, so uh, what should uh, what should happen now? What, what, what should uh, take place and well, what is going to take place? Well, what should happen is very different from what, what will happen. What should happen is that somebody in the White House or, the, or in Berlin or Paris or better still in Kiev should contact China because they're the only people who can exercise any mediation function. Ask the Chinese to start some kind of diplomatic mediation process. The Russians have always said that they're very, you know, receptive to Chinese ideas and try to secure peace in Ukraine, try to end the war. Because what is happening is Ukraine is being destroyed and its people are being destroyed. I mean, this is the important thing to understand. There is no sign that anyone is doing that. The US is focused exclusively on the Middle East. The Europeans are all over the place. The Ukrainians, as I said, are calling up women. Um, I read somewhere, I think, again, it was on Bloomberg, but I might have been wrong. Was it, no, it was the Washington Post that there are um, contacts between the Russians and the Ukrainians at a very low level going on in Istanbul, but it's clear that those are not leading to any kind of diplomatic action. So nobody is talking peace even as the war is taking for Ukraine an even more disastrous and tragic turn. And we come back to what those Russian officials were saying about three weeks ago, that Ukraine's choice is very simple. It either accepts Russian terms or it ceases to exist as a state. And we're getting ever closer to that last second possibility. You know, we've talked about Ukraine. Um, I discussed yesterday in my um, in my program on my channel a statement about the uh, a short, very brief statement that the Russian Ministry of Defense had published in which they said that, you know, that they're proceeding step by step, steadily, purposefully, rhythmically towards victory. Now, that's the kind of statement that the Russians would only release if they felt that they are now moving towards a military victory in Ukraine. And I think that is where we are. But no one in the West, or even in Kiev, seems to be awake to that. Maybe Aristovich is. I suspect Zelensky himself is becoming increasingly frightened and nervous. But nobody's taking any action to bring this war to an end. The Europeans are nervous. I think the Europeans understand that the uh, that the U.S. is going to dump Ukraine on this. Yeah, and that, that's what? that's what's happening. Yeah, yeah. what a surprise! I mean, you know, what, the Europeans, above all, should have worked night and day to prevent a war like this happening in Europe. It was in their power to prevent it. Instead, we got Ursula von der Leyen, who uh, uh, treated it as this great crusade against Moscow. All crusades against Moscow launched from Europe end in disaster, and this is just this is just the latest one.
All right. We'll end it there. The Durad.locals.com. We are on Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute, Telegram, Rockfin, and Twitter X. Then go to the Durad shop. 20% off. Use the code the Durad 20